Welcome to Recipes for Manufacturing Success in Northern Pennsylvania, featuring NWIRC's Bob Zeruda and yours truly, Robin Keller. In this episode, Bob and I are headed to Gasberry, headquartered in Dubois, PA. The company was founded in 1973 to design, manufacture, and service a complete line of powdered compaction and sizing presses for the powdered metal industry. Since then, the company has not only rounded out a full offering of equipment and services for applications related to powder compaction and thermal processing, but expanded outside of that core market into commercial heat treating, automation, and contract manufacturing. Today, with over 200 employees in seven locations and 20% of Gasberry products being exported, there are thousands of Gasberry presses, furnaces, and other equipment in operation all around the globe. We are talking with Heath Jenkins, president of Press and Automation. We will be discussing the exciting products produced by Gasberry and how Heath is leading his team into new innovations and what the future looks like for manufacturing. Hello, Heath. It's great to be with you today. Robin and I are looking forward to uh, having a, a conversation with you about Gasberry products and some other things related to you and your business. Well, Bob and Robin, glad to be here. Um, very excited to talk to you today. Thanks, Heath. Well, we're really excited to get to know you better, and I'm sure our listeners are going to be very excited to hear what Gasberry really does. And I know that Gasberry has a great history, 50 years, happy anniversary, celebrating 50 years as a business. That's fantastic. So let's begin there a little bit. If you would please share, uh, let our audience know about Gasberry products. Absolutely. It is our 50th uh, anniversary was this year. February to be exact was uh, 50 years. Uh, the company was actually started by uh, George Gasberry, a uh, serial entrepreneur. Um, he was involved in a uh, ownership capacity at uh, several uh, powdered metal plants in the area. Um, actually went to St. Louis to try his hand uh, outside of the area for, for some time uh, and returned and started the company in 1973 in a gas station in Falls Creek, which uh, if you're not familiar with the area, Falls Creek is actually a uh, suburb of Dubois. Uh, Dubois does have its own suburbs here, I guess. Um, so he started in the gas station and his sons, uh, uh, Bill and Tom and uh, George Jr. Uh, have worked for him in various capacities uh, throughout the, uh, the last 50 years. Um, when they started there, they'd actually pump gas as they uh, built presses in that gas station. So, you know, the little strips, the cars would run over and ding, ding, and they'd come in and uh, or they'd go out and uh, pump gas, clean the windshield and put them on their way and get back to building presses. So oh, wow. uh, a pretty, pretty neat or, uh, origin story there. What do you focus on in your role as president? So I am president of the uh, press and automation division in Dubois. So all the operations in uh, Dubois fall under under my um, my responsibility. Uh, we have, in addition to the uh, press lines that we manufacture, um, we recently, within the last two years, formed up a, an official automation segment. And for the last, I guess it's probably been 14 years, we've uh, been active in contract manufacturing as well with our Gasberry Technologies group. You know, powdered metal, of course, is is such a, a, a huge industry sector in, in our in your region, our region in Pennsylvania here. But and, and you know, we've all heard, um, you know, that it could be the capital of the world when it comes to powdered metal. But I also know that, you know, that's there's a lot of powdered metal being done in all parts of the world. Talk a little bit about 
your company and your role in in that whole world scene. You, I know you do a lot of exporting. We do, we do. Uh, the local area is where we we really got our start. Obviously, it was the perfect place to start a. Uh, uh, powdered metal compaction press manufacturing company. And I like to think uh, that you know, the establishment of Gasberry here in the heart of uh, PM in the United States uh, really did assist in, uh, in building that market to where it's been over the last uh, you know 50 years since Gasberry started. Uh, we do export quite a bit, that, that is true. Um, I, in fact, last year uh, we visited Slovakia, um, we currently have a salesman traveling Europe. Uh, we do a lot of business in Asia, about 15 to 20%. It depends on the year of our presses go overseas. And proud to say that they go to places like uh, Germany, uh, Germany being you know, one of the premier uh, machine manufacturers in the world. Anytime you can export into Germany a machine, you know you're doing things right. And I just, just to add on to that, I think most people drive by our company and have no idea the really cool things that are going on inside Gasberry's walls. So that was one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you guys. I wanted to share that knowledge and uh, yeah, let's see where this goes. I'm interested to know what, uh, you know, the, what part of the business that as a company you're most proud of, proud of. And then secondly, what's an area that maybe a lot of people don't know specifically within, within your capabilities. So we're most proud of, I, I have to lean on the, on the presses. They've been our workhorse for uh, the entire existence of Gasberry. Um, we started out with uh, mechanical powder uh, metal compaction presses um, in 1989, added centering furnaces to sort of become more vertically integrated uh, with that uh, PM market. Um, in 1997, we added tooling with uh, our, our, well, it was McKee at the time, but it's our precision tooling group now. So um, we're proud of the work we've done there. And we expanded not only vertically by adding uh, centering presses and tooling, but also horizontally. So um, we augmented our uh, mechanical powder presses in the year 2000 with hydraulic presses. Uh, we made a purchase in, of a company by the name of Best Press in the year 2000. Um, so hydraulic presses were added. And then also added uh, in 2001, uh, a little bit different technology, but still in powder compaction with our uh, dry bag cold isostatic presses. Uh, that was a company out of, the, out of England, out of the UK called uh, Cymac. Uh, it's been a great integration into our company. And uh, the beautiful thing about it and what really, uh, you know, I'm a salesman at heart. I spent 15 years in sales. And I believe that uh, the addition of these uh, lines have really made it possible for us to better serve our customers. So when we go in to talk to a customer, we're talking about the best solution for them, not just what we happen to manufacture, but um, we've got that broad array that allows them to, to select the best. And I would just add, um, part of the pride also extends to the fact that those mechanical powder presses are workhorses. Our press number two, I believe from 1973 or 74, is still out there making parts. Um, that press is almost as old as I am. And it's still out there making someone money. So that is not unusual to have one of these uh, presses out there for 30 plus years, making those very accurate and repeatable parts hour after hour, day after day, under continuous shock and vibration. It's really something to behold. It's something that uh, I think all of us at Gasberry can be proud of. I'm sure. And, and you know, when you, when you 
fast forward now to where, where we are. What's what's right now in the press world? What's new that you know is exciting? Sure, absolutely. So we are actually seeing a lot of activity in more niche markets. Uh, recently, working with uh, rare earth magnet customers as they work to bring that critical supply chain back to the United States. So these are very strong permanent magnets that are used in renewable energy applications, as well as defense applications. And over the last 30 years, it's really become dominated by, by China mainly. A um, few other small players, but, but really China. The U.S. government, I, I think it helped along by COVID and maybe some uh, trade wars, uh, made a decision that um, this was an area that we as a country needed to invest in and invest they have, not only on the equipment side, but uh, there's new mining operations uh, going into operation in Texas and Las Vegas, sorry, not Las Vegas, in Nevada and several other states uh, to supply the raw material. And when we used to do that, we used to send that raw material to China to be processed in their presses and into parts, into permanent magnets for use in many times in in um, in goods that were made in China, but sometimes also shipped back to the U.S. for use. Well, we're circumventing that entire loop that, and hopefully making that unnecessary by becoming, uh, to our knowledge, the first company in, ever in the Western Hemisphere to build a rare earth magnet press. It's, it's not as easy as it sounds. Maybe it doesn't sound easy, but it is actually a very involved process. You need an invert, inert environment. So you can use argon or nitrogen, but the material itself is, um, is flammable when exposed to oxygen. So we need to bring that, that oxygen level way down while, it's, while the powder is being aligned, while the particles are being aligned in the electromagnet. And uh, we just shipped our, our first one to New Jersey. And I think we're two weeks away, three weeks away from finishing up our uh, second one that'll be going to Oklahoma and uh, really neat uh, business uh, that uh, I think is going to have some legs here over the coming uh, five to 10 years. Hey, that is so interesting. And, and uh, you know, Robin, I'm listening, you know, we talk here at NWIRC and advocates of manufacturing and, and trying to communicate to elected officials and others that want to hear about the importance of manufacturing. And you just touched on, you know, not only producing manufacturing goods here domestically, but exporting, which, you know, we all know brings uh, revenues back to this this country and further strengthens strengthens our economy and national security. And now you're talking about this rare earth magnetic press line and reshoring from China. This is all music to many years. And, and at this time when energy and clean energy technologies is critical, Wow, we've got to get you to Washington D.C. I think. <laughs> yeah, we're checking <laughs> checking checking a few boxes there. Absolutely. Oh. I mean, you know, uh, and it it makes the manufacturing base stronger here in the states. It helps our country, you know, uh, be a little bit more safe and secure. You know, having that supply chain here, um, it's uh, it's something that we're we're pretty dang proud of. Absolutely. Well, I guarantee that uh, people driving by your building are not thinking that you are um, producing rare earth magnetic press lines. So uh, that's really exciting. And I want to say you don't look that old. So when you talk about how old your presses are, you shouldn't compare them to you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I think that that um, that might give away your age then. And uh, Keith, I want to know, what do you like most about your job? You know, I, there's really a couple things, the variety of work, you know, we're, we are a diverse company. 
Um, so we're working with a wide variety of customers on a wide variety of applications. And every day is a little bit different. So I absolutely love that part of my work and the ability to make a difference in our employee, employees and our customers' lives. I know that sounds highfalutin, but most of your career you spend saying, I wish I could do this or I wish I could do that, um, but I just, I'm not in the right position. And I, I feel like I'm in a role now where I can make a difference, not only um, to the direction of the business and the success of the business, but the individual success of our employees. And, and we see that, and I, and I don't claim credit for that. That's a, that's a culture that we have. But it's it's really neat to see, and I do enjoy that part of it. Well, you know, I want to I want to kind of peel back the onion a little bit here. Uh, you know, I, it's it's clear that the company is a growth minded company and forward thinking and and investing in in new technologies, looking to to acquire companies in that vertical and horizontal way. And and so, but but let's get down into a little bit deeper dive into. You know, what's working for you as a company for you to be as competitive as you are and being able to go out and, and look and seize new market opportunities? What makes that happen internally uh, at your company? So I, I think that uh, one of the things that we've really gotten good at over the last 20 to 30 years, especially, is, is being a, a sales driven organization. And when I say that, it doesn't diminish the very vital roles that other areas of the company have. But when you have a, a sales-driven organization, your antenna, I guess, are more in tune with where the market's going, opportunities for wider success. And we've been able to really jump into things. And, and the rare earth magnet presses are a good example. We've really been able to jump into things that, um, that we were early on and were able to establish ourselves, uh, you know, as a, as a leader and get that, uh, that first comer advantage, if you will. Uh, another area that I would uh, point to in that regard is automation. We've worked with automation for probably a, the better part of 20 years. And we saw more and more need, and this even uh, predated COVID, we saw more and more need for um, some sort of help for our local customers as they uh, even then struggled with uh, labor issues. That's only intensified, that need for assistance on the labor front. And it used to be that you'd, you'd have to explain that this isn't replacing a person, this automation isn't replacing a person, but it's uh, freeing up a person to do something else. And, and lately, as I'm sure you're well aware, the math has switched even more that that person isn't even there. The need for the automation is uh, almost at a survival level for some companies. We need this because we can't find a person to do this. And again, that was brought on by us being in tune with the market, knowing our customers. It doesn't hurt when you have an installed base of uh, 1,200 presses you know, throughout the world um, that you can, you can help automate. Uh, but uh, I, I would I would say that's uh, that's one of the bigger things, Bob. Yeah, I, I'm connecting with you, Heath. Um, you know, if you're sales driven, you are out with your existing customers and potential customers and understanding their challenges and what are some of the things they're looking to do. And if you're out in front of that, it allows you to to be innovative and allows you to beat the competition. Right. So to, to some new solutions for for that market. Within your company, I know quality is, is, is extremely important. I know you've got ISO certifications. Uh, you make investments in your processes and practices and techniques. Uh, you know, tell our audience maybe a little bit more about that, what you've done 
um, operationally to help uh, improve your ability to satisfy your customers' uh, demands? I, I love that question. And and uh, you wouldn't think I would coming from, uh, you know, the sales background that I came from. But um, one of the first things that uh, that I did uh, back in 2019 when I uh, assumed my uh, current role was to enlist the support of NWRC, I guess a shameless plug here, right? Um, enlist the uh, support of NWRC to uh, find a uh, consultant to help us through some operational excellence uh, work that we wanted to do. And as part of that, um, we were able to take an operation that really um, our current ERP, um, we had it at the time and we still have it, would tell us, uh, here's when you can ship. Okay, that's that's pretty good information to have. But it, it didn't do things like allow us to see when we should release to the shop. It didn't do things like tell us, has that date shifted? since you told me it'll, it'll ship, uh, you know, January 6th, is that still the same date or has it changed because of factors? We've got a hundred different things that can influence due dates. We're a uh, uh, high volume, or sorry, we're a low volume, high mix environment. We have different velocities. Some things our customers have a press down. They need, they absolutely need it the next day. And, and I mean, manufactured the next day. Other things, other components that we bring through and parts that we bring through have a six month lead time. So, you know, you have a lot of variation. You do have some volume uh, differences, sometimes 500 parts, mainly um, one to 10 parts is, uh, is where we've played in up to now. And um, of course, the variety of parts is just every day. It's something, some, a different part. So the system that we ended up coming up, up with and uh, through the help of, of the uh, consultant um, is a, a form of a protected flow. So in essence, now we're able to say, this is when we should release this part. In the past, we would just release everything as soon as it could get into the shop. And what happened is at times when you're busy, you just at a given work center, you would just have mountains of parts waiting to be worked on. And um, something that exacerbated that situation is it wasn't clear to the uh, machinist what was next to be worked on. Um, there was some discretion there, but it was also, he could honestly make an, uh, an honest mistake and just grab the wrong one, not realizing that there was something that he was missing there that should have gone through sooner. So um, in the end, we integrated the system. It tells us when to release. It tells us, um, you know, if the date has shifted so that we can act on it. Um, there's nothing worse than getting to a date and realizing that you can't ship and satisfy your customers on time delivery requirement. Um, we can see that ahead of time for everything in our shop. Are we still on track for this part, for that part? You know, which parts aren't we on track for? It's it reduced our whip um, because we're not releasing everything at once. And it's increased our throughput because once it's out there, it slides through as quickly as possible and doesn't get jammed up at any work centers. So operationally, that has that has really been a big thing for us, and it's uh it's been neat to see it come along. And uh, we're tweaking it every day. We've got a, a continuous improvement environment, and um, and uh, always looking to to improve for our customers. Mm -hmm. So I um, mean, all that impacts your people, right? I mean, all of that has affects every every person who who works there and in, in your company on a daily basis. How did how did you uh you know make that happen? How do you get that buy-in with with your workers, your employees? Yeah, good question. So um sometimes that's not easy, right? Um the I think it was assisted by the fact that uh, the consultant uh, part of the um part of the way this was rolled out was 
uh, we interviewed 17 different employees from different areas of the plant, um, front lines, shipping, assembly, the machine shop itself, uh, fabrication, uh, the office, you know, engineers, salespeople, um, everybody had a seat at the table uh, and, and was represented. And they helped come up with the system. And so there was that little bit of ownership, at least right from the get-go. But I think the it's, the proof is in the pudding, as they say. And when you get it out there and you see the hesitation at first and the, uh, oh, we've been through something like this before, you know, back in, you know, the 80s or 90s, some people, you know, guys have been through a lot. They've been grizzled and they've, they've kind of earned that cynicism. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it is up to management to prove it out and to stay focused because that execution, that implementation, so much work. And I'm sure you all have been involved with and the folks listening have been involved with so many different great ideas and there's meetings held and there's a lot of excitement and everybody's jazzed up and then it goes time to execute and implement and it just fizzles out over time and pretty soon it's not even a thing it's like oh i remember we did that a year or two back yeah i wonder whatever happened with that so it was a day-to-day grind but i know the guys in the shop have bought into it um you know we have monitors up that now tell them um, what exact part is to be worked on next? Uh, so there's no confusion there. Um, we can re- prioritize on a moment's no- notice. We can reprioritize a, a given part to the top of those monitors, so it goes through more, so it goes through quickly. And um, it's it's been a real benefit. But those uh, it was those first couple months were absolutely critical and just required really um, working with the team and explaining to them, you know, what this was going to do and why it was important. Wow, Heath, I feel like you have such a great team under you, and it sounds like that they are very flexible and able to make some really quick changes on a dime. And that's a testament, obviously, to you and how you did roll um, everything out and get them to buy into this process. But what's something that the employees may not know about you? This is going to sound like I'm putting down the Midwest, but I'm kind of Midwest. I am about as vanilla as they come. But I, I will say that I do like some good old school rap and, uh, you know, like Public Enemy, EPMD, Dougie Fresh, uh, you know, I and for maybe a decade, I didn't listen to it. And maybe a year ago, I started downloading some and putting it in a Spotify playlist and I probably listen to that every day now. And, and it's just, a, it's a good time. But looking at me, you wouldn't think I'd be into that. And I'm not even, I'm not even mentioning some of the other more hardcore rap groups that I listen to. It's, it's okay. We, uh, I, I completely agree with you. I also like to listen to that, especially when working out. There's nothing better than uh, having some Biggie Smalls. Uh, playing in the background and I you know maybe you should play that music when you walk into a meeting just to let people know that you you like listening to it so they get to know who you are better yeah there you go (laughs) not not a bad idea could be a theme song there you go (laughs) well I've got to chime in here because uh you know Heath you and I I think we've known each other for a few years at least. And and uh, I always kind of connected, you know, over that period of time and, and it started pretty early. And I think that had to do with the, uh, you know, we both have uh, a real passion for the sales side, but an appreciation and, and, and expectations on the operational side. 
we connect there, but I'm I'm not with you on on the old school rap. I'm sorry, it's not me, but I'm glad Robin's there. So that's good. <laughs> uh, it grows on you. <laughs> well, maybe I just have to give it a chance, right? I don't know. But... I'll, I'll be plagued up for Bob when this is over. Don't worry, I'll get him. Awesome, like awesome. <laughs> but I I do really really uh, uh, like the part of you uh, engaging your employees and being and having them part of the solution early on. And my guess is you do that day in and day out with your customers and potential customers. I know your company uh, brands itself by being trusted partners with those you serve. And, you know, tell us about that connection. I mean, there's there's a connection between, you know, having your employees part of the solution, but also your customers are part of the solution as well. Yeah, yeah. I'm very happy to talk about that because it is one of our differentiators, Bob. Uh, the uh, the ability to customize our equipment to the uh, to our customers and our, our main users processes rather than just selling a chocolate or vanilla um, category of press that, hey, good luck. Hopefully it fits for you, but we're not going to make any adjustments. Um, that's been a real difference maker for us. And, and it's really why we've been hugely successful, successful in the local market. Um, because customers know that we know what they want and um, we will make adjustments for them to customize it to their process. Um, we do it, uh, you know, for a reasonable price. There's a great value involved with this. And, um, I, you know, once you do that and once it's installed, once that press is installed, it, like I mentioned earlier, it's 30 years of now you have something that fits. And it fits with your organization and the way that you work, uh, not the way that we want to make it, but the way you want it made. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Um, go ahead, Rob. Oh, well, you know, he, we have been really, you talked about the, the challenges with the labor workforce, and we have really been trying to focus on um, getting young people involved in manufacturing and getting them excited about it. What would you tell your 16-year-old self, um, knowing what you know now, specifically in manufacturing? Yeah. Um, well, specifically in manufacturing, I, I would say that, um, well, outside of manufacturing, if I could just start there and I'll move it into manufacturing, I, I would tell my 16-year-old self and any 16-year-old to take more risks and not be afraid to fail. I, you know, it's it's a little bit of a cliche, but, you know, success is built on a, on a mountain of failures and nobody remembers. Uh, you know, my I have uh, two children, Alex and Lauren, and they both have played basketball and they both at one time or another were um, were a little hesitant to take shots. And, you know, I, I know I had to point out and you know, they'd roll their eyes, but I'd have to point out that um, even Michael Jordan, uh, you know, was missing half of his shots. The best player on their teams were airballing at times and sometimes multiple times in a row or in a game. So no one cares. I think it's a uh, Eleanor Roosevelt had said at one point that uh, you wouldn't worry so much about what others think of you um, if you realize how how rarely they do think of you. Um, so the kids need to know, fail, go do it, fail and stop planning and start acting and, and, you know, get up, dust yourself off, have that grit that requires, um, that's required for success. Um, as that applies to manufacturing, um, you know, I think a lot of kids aren't exposed to manufacturing. There's this, um, stereotype or this vision of what manufacturing is. 
And I think that uh, the, that lack of exposure uh, for our younger generation has uh, really hurt our manufacturing base. Um, but it is a great opportunity. And it's something I know NWIRC does um, that they expose um, regional children, um, teenagers, folks in high school, even in middle school to uh, manufacturing uh, in the area. And, you know, I, there's pretty solid research that shows that that exposure at the right age can change a life. And um, I, I just I love that you guys do that. I, we're always happy to participate. It takes time out of the day. It takes time away from what we you know, our core mission. But I think it fits with our core mission. We, we need future employees. We need people to be excited about manufacturing and um, yeah, keep keep them coming. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important. Um, that's why we do it, but it seems like you, you can never do enough of it. Right. And yeah, you just got to keep doing it and keep doing more of it and more opportunity to expose uh, young people to really fantastic opportunities um, for careers. So uh, yeah. yeah. So uh, what do you see uh, Heath as, as, you know, one of the key challenges for uh, the future of manufacturing? Well, I'm probably not going to shock anyone here by saying uh, labor availability. Um, you know, the, where we're at right now, it, it has the potential to hamper growth, um, reduce initial investments in businesses. It drives costs up. Um, you know, we, we're starting to see some of this turning in some of the blue collar trades. Um, I, I think, and this is very anecdotal, and Bob, you might have better data than I have, but I think we're starting to see more teenagers going into um, manufacturing based skill sets, whether it's machinists, fabricators, welders, um, you know, those sorts of things. Um, but I, I'm seeing some of that and I'm seeing more excitement around that. And, you know, maybe NWIRC can claim credit, but I also think that um, wages have been driven up by that scarcity. And, um, you know, I think that uh, that that doesn't hurt to draw more children in. Mm -hmm. uh, but I think that at the, at the end of the day, that's probably not going to be enough. The demographics just don't support it um, in many areas. Uh, some areas may be better than others. So I think that that's where, you know, a, a, another shameless plug here for the automation solutions. Sure. You know, uh, again, it's not taking a job uh, like it maybe was thought of uh, 10 or 20 years ago. Now it's um, it, in addition to freeing folks up, it's actually enabling companies to succeed. Uh, where they might struggle with uh, with labor scarcity. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well said. Well said, uh, Heath. And you know, um, I was in a company uh, two days ago. Uh, we had a a group of um, uh, of uh, elected officials uh, from um, the House in Pennsylvania, um, the members of the House that toured a facility. And what they heard from that manufacturer, a manufacturer very much like Gasberry, in that they're growth minded. They're, they're, they want to grow. They see the challenge of the labor, but they also know that that they want to they want to enter new markets and expand in existing markets. And if and they're doing it a combination of automation and giving increased opportunity for existing and new employees. So while the company grows, so does the number of employees because automation allows them to grow their capacity. And I and I think that that's part of the the opportunity that we have to to overcome the challenges that you were describing. You know, and I'm, Bob, that's that's a great point. And I think that that company and I'd like to thank Gasberry, we have great retention. Um, it is you can't walk through our plant, uh, you know, without bumping into somebody that's been there 25 plus years. I just signed some uh, 
um, paperwork for, uh, you know, a recognition for uh, two gentlemen that have been there 40 years. I mean, 40 years. And I think the companies that are going to succeed, there are going to be some that don't succeed. Uh, you know, that's um, that's a part of business and it's, it's unfortunate. But the ones that are going to succeed are going to have created a culture where people want to work. They're going to draw in those employees and they're going to be known not just pay is important. Obviously, we're there. Um, you know, to make a living and, to, you know, to support our families and uh, pay is important. But, you know, to be able to go to work for eight hours and come home and, you know, not be stressed to the, to the, to the you know, to the top and um, enjoy your work and be treated with respect and, you know, everything that makes up, you know, what a good job uh, is, uh, means uh, is going to help decide winners and losers at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, keep up that great work. I mean, you can you can do all the recruiting and attraction, but if you don't retain, then you never get ahead. So that's right. Uh, yeah. And and culture and and the way people are treated um, and allowed to grow and develop is uh, so important, as, as we know. So. Um, oh, right. So now I think it's time to shift a little bit. This is what we like to do. Okay. Um, in in uh, about three quarters or so into the podcast. And that is to, to talk about um, recipes for success outside of manufacturing, more in the kitchen, perhaps, or back at home in some way. So um, let's let's have some fun here, Heath. Uh, you know, tell us maybe, uh, you know, what's a favorite dish you like? Maybe it's your recipe. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's somebody else's recipe. But, you know, what, uh, what excites you uh, in the food world? <laughs> well... Uh, thanks. Good. Uh, good question. I um, I gave this some thought because I, I understand the uh, the um, name of the podcast is recipes for manufacturing success. So I knew this was coming. Yeah, okay. um, but I, I, being from the Midwest, uh, I'm kind of a meat and potatoes guy. Um, and so I, I gave it a lot of thought. If I'm being honest with myself, I, I could gussy this up and name something fancy, but it's just good old fashioned roast beef. I love roast beef. And I'm not that great at cooking it. Um, my my wife, uh, Marcy, steps up and, and does that. But it's my favorite dish, so I, I guess it's my favorite recipe. Well, Heath, if you could compare the most important ingredient of that dish um, mm -hmm. to, to an important tool of success in manufacturing, what would that be? I got to say the most important ingredient has to be the beef itself, right? I mean, it's it's the cornerstone of roast beef. So... <laughs> Um, I would I would compare the roast beef itself to the to the products we're actually making. It's almost the cost of entry. You can't say you're having roast beef if there's no roast beef. So and you can't say you're you're you know selling PM parts if you don't have PM parts. So the products uh, that we're making um, would be the roast beef. And I guess if I could take that analogy a little further, the addition of the subsidiary ingredients, the things like uh, that enhance the flavor, um, the onions, carrots, you know, some of the other things that you, um, folks might throw in to, to give it a little punch. Um, that's the differentiation that surrounds the roast beef. And in the real world, those are the carrots and the onions are more um, your culture. Uh, the way you do business, uh, the way you treat your customers, uh, your your responsiveness, um, those are the things that make you make your company different from other companies. So uh, I think that's probably where I'd land is that the uh, the the products are your roast beef and the the other things that differentiate uh, like those onions and carrots uh, in your business 
Um, that's our people, uh, the culture that we create, um, the differentiation in our operations to bring more value to our customers. Um, yeah, I think that's that's where I'd land. Wow. Fantastic. <laughs> Sounds good to eat. <laughs> I know. I know. How often do you eat your uh, roast beef dish? Like if it's your favorite, do you do you request it once a week? Oh, this is going to be so much fun to play back for my family because my son doesn't like roast beef. And guess who wins those arguments? And, and guess I, I probably have roast beef three times a year and it's my absolute favorite. But um, Alex doesn't like it. So we usually try to stick with things the whole family only. <laughs> I understand. Children somehow rule the menu. They do. They do. That and cherry pie. I never get the cherry pie that I love. <laughs> mm, yeah. Thank you for um, going along with us in, in that <laughs> segment. And we're going to wrap up with maybe a couple questions. And, you know, okay. there's um, certainly, you know, we talked about, um, you know, energy and technology and, and, and uh, the future and uh, automation. And, but, you know, a lot of people today are, are uh, focusing on uh, sustainability and uh, uh, a better environment um, and manufacturers have a role in that. Um, talk a little bit, if you would, please, about, you know, that piece in, in the in the operations of Gasberry and what you guys do. Sure, absolutely. So um, our role in, in that sustainability piece of the manufacturing puzzle um, hinges largely on what our customers are doing with our presses and um, powdered metal parts are a very green product. And what I mean by that is. Typical production methods outside of uh, outside of PM uh, powdered metal uh, parts uh, manufacturing through compaction. Uh, typically, they would be cast or forged, and there's a significant amount of um, energy, obviously, that goes into just that process. But then after that process, there's also a significant amount of uh, secondary operations where you're expending even more energy to uh, make that part its final form. And you're also wasting a lot of material as you do that. So the presses that, that we manufacture in many cases, and dare I say, even most cases, we're getting net parts out of that. They'll be centered afterwards, but there's very little machining that goes on. It, it does go on in, in certain parts, um, but there's very little post-press machining necessary. So you have very little waste. So, I mean, that contributes significantly to sustainability. And I know we're proud to support that and our customers use it as um, part of their approach to um, existing customers to expand their sales and as well as new new customers. Okay, Heath. And, and the last question that I have uh, for this conversation is, what is the, you know, what's the greatest advice you ever received? You know, I didn't take anybody up on it for the longest time, and I think it hurt me. Um, I grew up around, um, I was on a farm. I lived on a farm, grew up on a farm. Uh, my dad was up every day at 3.30 to, you know, go milk the cows and everything. And I, I saw that for um, the better part of my childhood. And, um, you know, you, you get out and you start to understand that he did that by necessity. Um, but the best advice I ever got was that 5 a.m. is the winner's hour. And creating, you know, some additional time in the morning um, and uninterrupted, you know, most people are still asleep. 
when I get up at 5 a.m. And, and maybe I can get a little workout in and as I'm driving to work again a little bit early and I look around and there's very few lights on in the houses around me right away I feel like I've achieved some even just by getting that far and then you add in the fact that you're able to approach the day in a more calm collected and stress-free way that's a lot better than the way I was rolling up until, you know, probably uh, 15 years ago, which is mm-hmm. I got to be at work at eight. It's a 10 minute drive. I'm going to sleep till 720. And you arrive just, you know, frazzled and stressed. It's mm-hmm. not a, not the way to begin a successful day. So that's the best advice that I've received. The best thing that I've seen role model for me from, from my father and the, the things that I tell my children is, it will make a difference. If you can get up at 5 a.m., if you can get up a little bit earlier than you do uh, right now, you will see a difference in your life and it will be a, a massively positive difference. Well, I am going to actually work on that because <laughs> I'm not a 5 a.m. Uh, uh, riser, but I want to be. And I know what you're saying. I agree. Having yeah. that peaceful, calm moment. Absolutely. So, yeah. all right, I'm going to work on it. <laughs> it's not easy. I am not a morning person, but if you can fight through that five minutes, what you know, of waking up, you can you can do it. Well, I'm going to sum up what we just heard. Um, so first, sales-driven organization, um, very important. We we have a clear example of a company that was out in front, um, engaged with their customers understanding their issues and opportunities for success and being a sales-driven organization positions you to be able to respond and seize new market opportunities. Second, Gasberry's commitment to automation as a company uh, started a long time ago and continued. And as a result of that, did it not only benefit the company over that period of time, but had positioned them to be able to help their customers uh, follow the same, same steps. And third, Operational excellence. Clearly uh, at Gasberry, uh, it's a priority um, and it includes their employees. Getting employees to have a seat at the table early in the process and keeping them involved is critically important. And on top of that, you have the management that stays focused to to, to make it happen. And, and as a result of that, uh, not only do you have an organization of culture of continuous improvement, but you have an organization that's able to retain talent. Well, Heath, this has been uh, just a lot of fun. And uh, thank you for uh, joining Robin and I. Congratulations to you and your company on, on 50 years of success and growth. And I'm sure there's another 50 years um, on the horizon. You know, you dated yourself a little bit and Robin today. So, you know, when I saw that it was 50 years and I, and I, it, my wife and I are celebrating 50 years as a couple. We actually started dating in September of 1973. Um, wow. So, and juniors in high school. So it's a long wow. time and a lot of challenges along the way, but a lot of great, uh, great accomplishments and things to be proud of. So wish you well, look forward to our next conversation. Thank you, and congratulations on your 50 years. Thanks for joining this episode of Recipes for Manufacturing Success, brought to you by NWIRC. Serving manufacturers in 13 counties of Northwest and North Central Pennsylvania.